Hi there. Jordan checking in before we get to the episode to check in on your holiday season so far. Do you have what you need or could you use a little bit more? But one way to make sure you always have what you need is using my friend Spec. The Spec platform enables teams to instantly access and add new applications using real-time data, optimize system performance, and replace underperforming tools. Need IDV? They have that ready for you to turn on right now. Need email reputation? Yep, let's go. Very next transaction. What about a full rules engine and device ID? Locked and loaded. What's even better is Spec securely collects rich user session data in real time, enabling continuous and secure threat monitoring without the reliance on tamper-prone JavaScript or tracking tags. When threats are detected, Spec can remediate the issue before the user even leaves the site. Check out www.specprotected today to learn more how they can help you this very holiday season. Now let's get to the episode. Welcome to another episode of Fraud Boxer. I have a very special guest, someone that I've been uh, admiring for a very long time. He reached out to me actually and was like, let's do this. And that made me very, very, very happy. So Andrew Austin from CarMax, how are you doing on this Veterans Day? And you are a veteran. I am. Yes, I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on, Jordan. Yeah, so we um, we talked probably last year, maybe it was even this year before MRC, but we just jumped on a, a thing briefly. You reached out to me, you wanted to meet. So kind of how did we meet? If you could go through your version of the story and let's go from there. Should have probably thought about this more before we jumped on here. Yeah, this, th <laughs> these think, are conversations. Uh, these aren't yeah. rehearsals. These are conversations. I think if I recall, uh, you had made a post on LinkedIn about something about vendors. And oh, it seems yeah. like you and I love uh, love us some vendors. Um, and I had to actually repeat that mantra to myself before jumping on here. We will not talk about vendors. We will not talk about vendors, but, <laughs> but vendors spend yeah. plenty of time talking about themselves. So they, we don't need to do and, it for them. And they spent plenty of time trying to talk to us. Uh, and, and we had both recently made, made posts about that. And I reached out to you and I think I offered, um, I think I offered to write a song with chat GPT yeah. about fraud vendors. And I would sing and you could play the guitar. And we put it out as as some special edition content for the podcast. We need to do this. We, we it's coming back to me now, and I agree. We need to do this, especially because I've been in Chat GPT all morning, like I told you. So yeah. exactly, <laughs> yeah. Maybe maybe if there's time left at the end, we'll we'll do it live. Perfect. We'll do it live. Yeah. Um. I think yeah. I remember that post because it was it was right before I think it was right before MRC or right at the end of the year last year mm -hmm. when kind of coming out of COVID and it was just like five or six different vendors a day messaging us saying, come see what we got, how we solved it, how we're better. And it's just like, it was a lot. And it was, I think it's because, in a, and there's nothing wrong with salespeople. I understand you got a job to do. And like, I have put up a big sales episode right before MRC last year, but like, it's just a lot to, to send me a lot of emails, especially when you haven't researched me and then send me that same email every single day. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's just a lot like it's just a lot it's just a lot yeah sometimes i yeah i had, i had just started a new role at carmax uh and was looking at specifically idv companies uh at the time and so i mean between me reaching out to them and them reaching out to me it was it was uh it's quite overwhelming and especially yeah it, so that mrc 
all the communications there. Yeah, it was. Uh, I would say that this last this last MRC, like people that got the list, like the vendors that got the the, the attendee list, were especially um, ambitious. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's a very nice way of putting it. <laughs> Yeah, so that I mean, it's coming back around again. So everybody, uh, get ready, and I'll I'll be reposting that episode that I did with Cambria last year. That kind of goes over how to how to calm yourself down on those ones. Mm-hmm. Um, so you have had quite a history, you know. I mean, you you are at Carmax now, but let's talk about where you were before because you know, obviously, none of us started in fraud. We all wound up in fraud, uh, but you started in the service, and that I yeah. think is a super interesting story. So if you could. Give us a rundown on your background in the service on this fine Veterans Day. That'd be great. Yeah. So I, I joined. Well, uh, let me back up. So the sure. the Austin family has been in in various forms of service for, I'd say, the past hundred years. My my father was in the Marine Corps. My grandfather was in the Navy. His my great great grandfather was in the Army. I've got uncles in the in the Marine Corps. I have. Every branch of service, except for the Coast Guard, because as any true veteran knows, the Coast Guard's not really military. (laughs) (laughs) Which I say, I say tongue in cheek, I I work with a a Coast Guard veteran who probably saw more combat activity than I did. Uh, But uh, anyway, so I joined uh, the Army National Guard when I was 17. I I think I was 17 and two months when I when I signed the papers. I had to have, you know, if you're under 18, you have to have your parents sign with you. So my parents signed with me. I went to boot camp between my junior and senior years of high school. Holy. After, yeah, yeah. After I graduated, came back, uh, did my advanced training. Uh, I started off in in tanks, so the M1 Abrams tank. Um, wow. And very soon after that, we transitioned to air defense artillery, which was Stinger missiles. If you ever played Call of Duty, the FIM-92 that you shoot down the helicopters with in some of those missions, um, that's the... That was the missile, but it was uh, mounted on the Avenger weapon system, which is a turret on the back of a, a Humvee. Uh, not quite as cool as a tank, um, but you know, you 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 serve to meet the needs of the army. So yeah, transition to that. So went out to New Mexico, did a six week course out there to get certified for that, um, and then a couple months after that, went to Fort Leonard, Missouri, to be retrained as a military police officer, thinking that I was going to Afghanistan, and ended up in Germany for about a year and a half. This was this was like I, you know on our prep before this like guys we had a conversation but this was during the time what, what, what this was 2003 right when you yeah 2003 i joined yep yep so that's uh, why so, that's why you thought you were going is the the invasions of, of afghanistan and then iraq yeah that was all happening so that's probably what everybody was. thought they were going to wind and, up and yeah. i wanted to go i really wanted to go you know that's why that's why i joined i wanted to serve and and keep our country safe um and I didn't, I think I tried volunteering, but it was like, no, we're going, we don't have to do this. So just go. And we ended up in Germany. So five, we, we did a couple months of training, ended up in, in Germany for a year and a half working as a, a police officer on an army base, um, and came home, tried to go to college for, uh, about a year and a half. And then, uh, 2010 rolled around and, uh, finally got deployed to Iraq, uh, working a radar system that, detected rockets and artillery that they would shoot at our bases um spent about a year on that came home again went back to school while i was still in the unreserved status uh finished my degree and i ended up getting out of the army in 2015 so i did 12 years total uh in the army national guard there was four or five years total between um 
school deployments on that was all on active duty so i just say the the army when people ask me because you say the ohio <laughs> army national guard it's like what is that you got to go through this whole thing so yeah 12 years in the army about four on active four or five on active duty and the rest uh reserve status well thank you for your service that's My that's pleasure. quite the story there um so you came back, you went to school, you got you got out of the army, and then you you joined Fifth Third Bank, right? Or did you, was there something in between that? Uh, I, yeah, I, I joined Fifth Third in 2014, so I was still on reserve re- reserve status where I trained. Okay, you know, one weekend a month and two weeks out of the summer. Um, I joined uh, after graduating from college, joined in their IT leadership program. So it's a rotational program where you spend um, you do four six month rotations in, in different areas. And I did one in project management when I first started. Um, what was I working on? Like a credit card project and a reporting project. And it was like, this is terrible. <laughs> and my second one, um, it told me I was going to the the AML team. And I thought, oh, cool. What's what does that acronym stand for? And found out anti-money laundering. And I was like, ah, this is kind of interesting. And once I got in there, it was it just really kind of clicked with me. You know, the, the military, very, uh, very structured, very regulated and yeah. going into a bank and AML is very structured, very regulated. So it was around the time um, when Finson had put out an advance notice about KYC, CDD and requiring that to be part of the bank's uh, AML program. So um started working on a, a pr- not a, not a proof of concept, an RFP to uh, look at different vendors of how we were going to implement yeah. a KYC program there. Um, so it was it was really cool, you know. Get to I got to run the program to to talk to all the different systems that would be feeding us data and say what what changes do we need to make to onboarding to collect the right information from people, um, and you know, ran that for the entire six months that I was there. Um, moved on to a couple different roles and then. I actually tried to stay in that role. I said, let me out of the program. I'm going oh, to stay and run it, this. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, I was going to stay and run it, but uh, that didn't work out. So I finished the program and a year later came back and I stayed there for another four, four or so years. So we finished out that KYC uh, program uh, and then moved into moved right into replacing the bank's AML transaction monitoring platform. So anyone in banking that, is listening to this will know how difficult that is so that i mean from start to finish that was a three and a half year long program jesus yeah um and you're talking every customer every account every transaction that flows through you know top i don't know what they are now but at the time around a top 15 us bank it's a massive amount of systems and data that have to be um you know consolidated into one application so it was uh it was it was a great 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 learning experience but um by the time we got done with that, I was thinking, you know, what am I going to do next? And Fifth Third made that easy for me by laying me off. <laughs> well, you know, they're so, like, here yeah, you go. I we, mean, we 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 hear you've been we hear in our minds you've been thinking. Uh, yeah, so yeah. here we'll, we'll we'll make the decision for you. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. At the time, it was like it was devastating, honestly, because it was like, oh man, you know, you kind of built my brand around this, around AML, and and being the guy that's doing all these programs and and systems standing up and. And being laid off, it was just kind of stripped away from me. And at the time, like I said, it was devastating. But career-wise, it's the best thing that could have possibly happened for me. Yeah, I moved on to. I've like, like I mean, yeah, just like to to say that, like I've been 
in that that space before. So I've like not in the AML space, but in the layoff space. Um, <laughs> I mean, obviously there's some AML that comes into all of our businesses, like you know, making sure that we're not selling to uh, countries or individuals that are on the uh, sure. banned list. All that we just usually just buy products. I've heard of OFAC <laughs> once or twice. Yeah, every once in a while, yeah. Um, but, you know, I mean, I think in marketplaces too have to have a lot of AML compliance because you need to know who you're paying out these things to. So make sure you're not funding terrorism, all those fun right. things. Um, I think a lot of marketplaces probably fall short uh, on a lot of that, but are getting away Quite with possibly. it. But uh, but hopefully, you know, as as it becomes more tech, the technology becomes a little more accessible, people will get better. But that's being said, I have been, this is the third version of my life that I have had. Um doing fraud and payments. I've been laid off where I had thought like I had spent a number of years in this particular field. Like I was a buyer for a chain of retail stores. I thought this is my life. I'm going to mm -hmm. be a buyer. I'm going to be like doing merchandising for the rest of my lives, you know? And then that decision changed when I discovered technology and I got a job in technology, but then got laid <laughs> off there. So everything changed right away, you know, then you know, obviously with the, getting laid, I thought I have, I have my skateboard company. I've talked about in another episode, you know, when that kind of when the, the economy burned up, that didn't work anymore. But even in this industry, like when I moved to the Bay Area and was working at Gift, um, once we got purchased by First Data, you know, they laid us all off after the right. one year it was over. Right. And, and that was the same thing is like, you know, I've built my brand my whole life now, like this third cocoon of me that I've hatched from has now been fraud prevention what do I deal, do, you know? And I had a huge identity crisis about that. And it took, it took a little while to get back in. It took me over a month. Thankfully I was able to do some, uh, some consulting work to, to, to get me, to carry me through, but it, it was scary. It was terrifying, yeah. you know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, this so, happened for me, this happened at the height of COVID. You know, it was, it was July, 2020. Uh, my wife was pregnant with our second child. Now she works too. So like we could float it. Right. But it was still, you know, the job market sucked at that time, right? Yeah, and, and, it was it was layoffs. It wasn't hiring. <laughs> right, right. So, I mean, I, I locked down. I, I found a job, like a product owner job um, at a digital lending company, which at the time I thought, well, this is terrible. And it's kind of <laughs> long term, it, it, it worked out for me because it got me exposure to lending. And I understand that world a lot better now. Um, but I, I stayed there for about eight months. Um as I was looking for something to come back into yeah. the fraud always looking for that space. next step. We got yeah, we got to get the, the, the paycheck in for now. Yeah, right. So um, stayed there for about eight months. Uh, went to WorldPay as a product manager uh, in the merchant fraud space. And you know, coming from a banking background, like the, the AML is very very back office. Like I didn't really play much on the fraud side. I uh, dabbled in it here and there, but coming into WorldPay, like they told me it was merchant fraud and i was like what is a merchant like it was the, the, mm -hmm. honestly like the first time i'd ever heard the word merchant in that context and i was like well i don't okay whatever and i you know coming in i thought it was just gonna be pretty much the same you know it's it's the same data it's just you're running different rules for it. like what what's the big deal right i thought it was just gonna be the same thing and it's obviously obviously entirely different right it's entirely different than aml um and even like between issuer and merchant, the the amount of data and, and the integrations, and everything are, are different as well. So yep. it was some, uh, some have enhanced stop data, some sending you the minimum, man. <laughs> right, right. So it was it was a great learning experience. Um, you know, being at a, a a large processor like that, like it's not their core competency, obviously. Right. I think it provides a very valuable service to to many merchants. 
Yeah. Um, and especially if you're already integrated with them, right? And if you don't have the fraud, like a fraud team to do that kind of monitoring for your payments and you're already integrated to your merchant, turning that on while it's maybe not the best thing in the world, yeah, uh, it is a lot better than having nothing. Yeah, right? I'd I've, rather hide behind a table if someone's shooting at me than stand out in the open. I've had to use gateway fraud tools at multiple locations before because we just didn't have any other options, you know? Mm -hmm. And like the tools aren't the best. And then, you know, I think smaller companies usually are, are more known for using the the merchant fraud services from their, their PSPs just because like they just don't have like the capacity to, to staff somebody usually like you know as, as usually fraud people come from like customer service like, that kind of yep. that's where they start to roll into it you know but having like being able to outsource that at the beginning you know or even in the middle if you're broke is is something that that's i think a lot of merchants do do but you know the there's a reason that all all psps have a fraud tool integrated at the gateway level because like it's just sometimes it's the only option like i've had companies before where we use yeah. custom checkout and the only place we could ever have a fraud tool was in the exact same call to our gateway processor and that was that was it so i had to shove something in there and thankfully at the time that company that, that processor did have something that we could use but I mean, absolutely you know, Ad, Adian has revenue protect you know like uh cyber source has decision manager everybody's like, uh, i think chase still even has safe tech somehow um, <laughs> right <laughs> yeah exists. so this was this yeah. was WorldPay's uh, uh, fraud site. So fraud that was, site. The, and I also worked on, we stood up a, a, a partnership with Signified, uh, which is a very well-known uh, mm -hmm. chargeback. And I struggle with this word, indemnification. Me too. Me um, too. <laughs> yeah, I just, uh, kind of hard to get the tongue moving around that one. Yeah. And but, then, you know, what, you know what the problem is with that word too, is when you're saying it and you're messing it up, you feel like it's a wrong word like yeah is this a real word as it's coming out of your mouth <laughs> like well, you know if you're speaking at a certain rate you almost have to like pause and then slow your rate of speech down before you can say that uh but anyway chargeback indemnification was signified and that product is is Boom. live now called guaranteed payments uh so that was that was really a, a great thing for them to to stand up because i mean if you can if you are integrated with a with a gateway already and, and they're doing their your their pro, your card processing and you can flip a switch and have a chargeback guarantee versus how how many people you got to hire how many it folks you got to cajole to work on your your project to integrate to to a, a provider that does as a as a standalone right so, so it's a so yeah, that's really interesting. I like the, like the flip a switch thing, you know, because I think a lot of these orchestration things are trying to like push towards they are. having that ability to flip a switch. But mm -hmm. we have built in a switch here at my company um, based on like busy season, staffing levels, holidays, those sorts of things that we can flip a switch to full automation versus like hybrid models, you know, like switching between is there going to be manual review today, this hour? this weekend, you know, we can switch around and move around between that based on the needs. And it's been, it's been life-changing for our business. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm sure it is. And, and, and with this, it's, it's as easy as call your, you know, I, I feel almost like a shill for work, <laughs> but yeah, call your account manager and say, Hey, turn it on. And you know, they, they submit a ticket and it gets turned on. It's, it's very, very simple. Well, but, hey, I'm coming after you for sponsorships after this. There you go. Um, <laughs>
So, uh, you know, I, I was there for, I think, a little over a year and a half. But uh, towards the end of my tenure there, I was thinking, like, you know, we we were in a department called value-added services, right? It's a value-add. It's something you add on top of your processing. Um, and it, it, uh, like I said, it's not their core competency. It's it's a lot of partnership. A lot of the work that I was doing was on enablement and uh, supporting sales. And I wanted to do something that was more building of my own <laughs> you know got it I, we, we we partnered with different vendors but when we talk to merchants it's like well we got problems with bots and we got problems with ato and it's like well we you know we did some of that in various ways but it wasn't all integrated really well um and i wanted to build something of my own somewhere else that i could say you know we are using best in class vendors best in class solutions to stop fraud and um I interviewed uh, a couple of different places. I saw this role for CarMax. It was uh, for fraud technology. And it was, it sounded very much like a product strategy type of role, which really fit my, my background and interviewed for it and just fell in love with the company. Like their, their mission of providing an iconic customer experience. Like they don't want to just make it a good experience for you. They want, they want every customer to have a very good, like, Iconic is something that goes, you know, many steps beyond that. So what can we do in the fraud space to support that? So my mission statement for what I'm building is to deploy intelligent solutions to detect, deter, and prevent fraud while supporting iconic customer experiences, right? I, I want to do that um, so that it's not viewed as, well, this guy's going to come in here and put all these controls in and lock everything down. Like, that's absolutely not what we're doing. Absolutely not. So um, that message has resonated really well internally and um, really excited about some of the stuff that we're going to be able to do over the next next couple of years. Yeah. So let's talk about CarMax, where you're at now, and let's get to the meat and bones of this, uh, this podcast here. But CarMax, I think, is a pretty well-known company. I think, obviously, the the idea of that motto of an iconic customer service or customer experience has been has been working because the expansion for CarMax has been pretty significant. Like, yep. you know, it used to be for me when I first came across the brand, it was Southern California. It was used car lot. People knew about it, but then now they're everywhere and they're even up in Oregon. So um, that, that says a lot about the expansion, but I think pioneering, like buying a car sucks. It really does. It does. <laughs> it takes all day. It You have to go, you have to sit there, you have to negotiate and they always try to screw you, add things on. Um, that's why I started using brokers to buy my car. So they go do all that for me. And then the car just shows up in my driveway and I sign like five pieces of paper, then off they go. But CarMax has kind of pioneered that experience where it's not, it's not crappy. It's the price is what the price is, what the price is. Yeah. Here you go. Do you want to buy it? Yes or no. And then out the door you go, you know, with your car, <laughs> which I exactly. think is a lot. And I would, you know, it, it, people always say, if you look on like Reddit, if you look on social media, like why can't buying a car be like buying groceries? You go in, you pick out what you want, you pay for it, and then you leave. And CarMax seems to be trying to make that experience more like that, uh, including being able to purchase a car online. Is that correct? That is correct. Yeah. So CarMax started out of uh circuit city actually in the early 90s wait no way really they did yeah yeah so they were spun off from circuit city i don't know the full story i'm not gonna <laughs> go read That's the wikipedia amazing. page <laughs> if you want the, <laughs> the nitty-gritty but yeah they came out of circuit city in the early 90s uh the first store was actually in richmond virginia uh which is where we're headquartered 
uh so you know your experiences you know i saw them in socal all the time but we, yeah we actually yeah. started on the east coast uh and we today i think have 248 240 something stores across the u.s so we're we are u.s based um so any any international listeners here wouldn't maybe recognize the name but um yeah we're, we're u.s based and the the business model has always been used cars at a set price and we also provide um max care which is the guarantee that you is optional to purchase on that so a lot so, of the I, I let me tell you a quick story about max care so i yes. use i had um jenny that used to work for me at Ticketmaster. she's still there she only buys her cars at carmax like that's her thing because of max Thank you, jenny <laughs> and I used to give her so much crap about buying her cars at CarMax because I didn't know. I was ignorant of MaxCare. But then on her car that she had, she had a catastrophic failure. Mm-hmm. And she got that thing towed to CarMax. And they they couldn't fix it at CarMax. But they gave her an approved shop outside of CarMax that they just paid for and took care of it. And like they literally made her whole so quickly and so easily i retract my statement <laughs> of anything bad i've ever said about carmax because that that seems like a superb service yeah that, it absolutely so is so beneficial yeah and i'm not gonna go into the details of what exactly it would be because my pr department would probably say you're off on this um but yes it is a, is a very good warranty i'll just keep it at that it's a very good warranty that covers many <laughs> things talks about yes and i was gonna bring up doug DeMuro. <laughs> so doug DeMuro, um that's actually how I came to know of CarMax was through his videos because um, part of Gawker Media back in the day was Jalopnik. And I'm, I've been a car guy my entire life. My dad used to race motorcycles, so I was brought up in that culture. And Jalopnik was was one of those sites, and I would read that every single day. Doug DeMuro was, was one of the journalists on there that would write about his Range Rover that he bought from yeah. CarMax. Bumper to bumper, bro. <laughs> bumper to bumper warranty, and I think the the warrant he paid maybe three or four thousand dollars for this uh, for this warranty, and I think it was twenty plus thousand. Yeah, we, we don't have the we don't have you don't have your assistant to look these things up live for us yet. I know I gave but, a day um, off today. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, but it was it was quite a bit of money, and it was several years. I mean, it was like a, over a four or five year span that he he utilized this warranty, and that's exactly what it's for. Right. And and obviously that's an that's an outlier. And I can't say that Range Rover is the most reliable car. Um, but you know, hey, that... I have one of those, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> but I uh, yeah, I mean the, it, it it they're not all like that, right? So or else we'd be out of business. Um, but it, it it normalizes with with the volume we sell on those. Um, but yeah, it's uh I don't know where we were going with that, but <laughs> it is a great warranty. Yeah. Um and Go ahead. Maybe we'll cut this. Yeah, I mean, we, we can leave it in because I, I mean, if we're talking about car backs and what kind of sets it apart and part of the iconic customer experience. But, you know, as you guys have gained in popularity um, from things like Doug DeMuro, uh <laughs> having those <laughs> warranty videos uh, that has brought on. And I think, you know, probably especially since you've been there since it's COVID times that you've, that you've mm-hmm. joined has obviously a lot of things have moved online, which mm-hmm. has created whole new attack vectors for for businesses that weren't quite ready for it yeah. um i'm not saying that you guys weren't so don't don't think that i'm just saying overall businesses everything was like let's put everything online and then we'll see what happens and things happened so you guys i think with buying cars like there's like you know when we were prepping for this episode i talked about there's two things that require a little more 
intervention to buy than than the average product. And it's cars and homes because there has yeah. to be some sort of government intervention at some point. So you have to register the car, you have to do a, a record at the county for the sale of your home. So the, the process is a little more involved and it requires a little more process to make it happen. Now you guys allow people to purchase a car online, correct? We do. We do. Yes. And with that comes all of the new stuff that's happening. And I think for this episode, like when we were kind of prepping on, I'm going to let you run through some of the things that you see that you normally like encounter on a day to day. But I think the bread and butter of this is more of the ACH style fraud that we were talking about kind of when we were prepping for this. And I'd love to talk about just all of the things that you're seeing, because these stories, when we were prepping this were fascinating to me and I'd love to share them with the audience. So sure. could you talk about what you see and what you do? I can't. Yeah. Yeah. You mentioned everything moving online during COVID and that, that's the time that I was at world pay, right? Talking to all the merchants that had moved online during so COVID. So you're seeing were, what they're doing. Yeah. And then in yeah, trouble all of a sudden. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I'm seeing all this stuff and I'm like, Oh man, like why weren't you prepared for this? And, and you know, after, after talking to many, many, many of them, it's like, Oh, okay. I get it now. You didn't have the resources. You didn't have this, that, um, and didn't plan on these things happening. They just got pushed and you had to move online to support sales, to support customer experience, so on and so forth. So, you know, when I, when I came to CarMax, when I first looked at it, I was like, what kind of fraud can a, can the auto industry have? Like, what could you possibly have? You know? And, uh, I did some research beforehand and like, was like, oh, okay. Yeah. This all makes sense. And, um, payment fraud, as you mentioned, ACH fraud, uh, is one of them synthetic identity and ID theft in general is another one. And then there's, um, you know, specific ones to different types of dealerships. Um, but yeah, I mean, so, uh, let, let's talk about the ACH fraud, for example. So, you know, if, if you're a dealer that accepts ACH payments, what kind of fraud do we see in ACH in general? Let's just say in general, across any kind of payments, right? We see people taking over accounts at financial institutions and moving the money or making payments, um, somehow fraudulently gaining access to it and either getting goods or the funds uh, from that account, right? Uh, the, the auto industry is no no different. You know, if, if you accept, if you're a car dealership that accepts uh, ACH payments, um, you're susceptible to that as well. So I think if someone, I think like, yeah, like a lot of times, like people have thought ACH payments are relatively low risk, no risk even because, you know, it's the money's there. It's, it's a, it's an ACH. Like you can't really yeah. reverse it, which you can, can, but uh, yeah, I think that like historically people have thought about that. Like, and you see, there's a big push now. There's even services that are offering checkout experiences via ACH mm -hmm. that people are really like, they're, they're touting is like low risk you know, have your people pay that you get the money, no, no chargeback risk, those sorts of things. Cause you know, the whole time I'm thinking before you even mentioned the ACH part is like, like what kind of risk could a car company have? Like you wouldn't charge back a car, would you? Well, I mean, yes, you kind of would, but in a different way, you know? Yeah. So it's, it's really interesting because yeah. you know, ACH, yeah. there is real time ACH out there. Right. But like most, most companies don't, aren't doing real time ACH. So it, let's think of it from a card perspective. Like if you have a credit card, you can set up alerts on there. So as soon as it's swiped, you get a push notification to your phone, your watch, computer, every screen in your home can pop up and yeah, say someone sucks. used your card at this place for $500, right? And you can immediately go in on many bank apps and freeze the card, dispute the transaction, whatever, right? 
Well, with ACH, a lot of it is batch processing. So there might be a real-time call to your bank. House. <laughs> yeah. There might be a, a real-time call to your bank to confirm funds availability. So if I'm trying to make a $5,000 down payment, we might ping your bank and say, do they have $5,000 in the account? And they can say yes. And we'll say, all right, payment accepted. All right. Well, what happens if you walk outside and then shift the funds to a different account? Yeah. So it's Later just like often settlement in a credit card yeah. world. Exactly. Just like that. Exactly. Yeah. So if you move those funds when we when when we the batch is run later that night to to draw the funds out, they're they're gone. So that can happen. Um, so that's a like an NSF return. And like it's, it's a struggle sometimes to see like um, is this an NSF or is it fraud? Because if you're making that five thousand dollar down payment and you have five thousand dollars in your account and we ping your account, they're gonna say, "Yep." But what happens? You use your debit card to stop at McDonald's on the way home, and now your balance is forty nine eighty five. Well, it's still going to come back as NSF when we we, we uh, when the payment gets processed. So there's there's things like that. But um, yeah, the 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 big one that the auto industry sees is is people that truly take over an account. And I actually just gave a presentation on this a couple of days ago to. Um, the auto fraud Co coalition at the IFCI about telegram social media sites and other service websites where you can go out. I could give you the website and show it to you live where you pick your bank that you want to steal from. It gives you the balance of the account and gives you a price. So you want to count with a hundred thousand dollar balance, 3,500 bucks. Right. Jeez. And this is, not difficult to find. And, and this is what I've been educating people on internally within CarMax. And I'm, I'm trying to expand that to the auto industry. And, and what I post about a lot on LinkedIn as well is that it is not hard. There's the trope of the hacker in the hoodie that everyone thinks of when they think of cybercrime. And it's not that at all. It's, I even said this in a post last night, like um, Diana uh, Goshik Physic, who's I think been on your podcast before, yeah. said like we should make a Netflix documentary about this. And I said, yeah, it should be called like Easy Money, the bright and shining face of modern identity fraud, because it's so in your face, it's right there. It's your your teenage kid could get on Telegram and be making hundreds of thousands of dollars in in cash outs, and you would never know because it's so accessible. So if I'm a, a criminal, I can go buy a bank account with a high high dollar balance for not a whole lot of money, go to your dealership. And if you accept ACH payments and aren't verifying that they own the account, which they can also t put their name on the account, by the way, because <laughs> yeah. there's, there's tools to help you with that as well. Um, if, if they can do that, then they walk away with the car. Now, the problem with this is that the car then, we well, one, the problem is that the dealership is out the car so they're out the inventory and they have to pay the bank back because the bank yeah, says hey our customers said that they didn't make this purchase so they're out the inventory they're out the money um and then they report it stolen that's what so i was gonna say that's where i was going with this next is like yeah because it's a car has to be it's not like a phone or it's not like a keyboard or like a you know something like that where like it, it's reported stolen because it has to be registered at dmv at some point like right it has to be so no, that car no. exists. But it does I, not have to be registered at DMV. So if, if you don't want to register it, you put it on a ship, probably in Houston, oh. and you ship it overseas. And I think what I've, I've seen Houston. a lot of these. 
yeah uh you know a lot of these end up in like northern africa um, okay but they ship them overseas uh and then who cares what happens to it then right uh if you have the network and, and we and i don't know if, if you've talked about this much on here but you know i've, I've heard uh webinars and others where, where we talk about how fraud is distributed it's a supply chain of fraud um there's different people that play different roles and it's so much of this is organized crime it's just crazy right because i have to have a network of people um to obfuscate what i'm doing right yeah. so I, I i i contact someone that has stolen the credentials of the account yeah that's the, the first I, person you know that's someone the first to get one. them right i use them or maybe i bring in someone else to use them because i don't want to put my face uh in front of yeah. the dealer right? emily I, pay the them, <laughs> I pay them <laughs> yeah i pay emily to come in and and, and I uh, pay her 500 bucks to do this. She brings me the car. I call up my buddy at the chop shop who has uh, the ability to make custom VIN stickers and he revends it for me. Yeah. And I saw I the telegram up, thing that was like selling VINs and, and titles, right? Yeah. yeah. And then I call up my uh, guy on the inside of the DMV and I said, Hey, I need a title for this. And he does, I don't know what he does, whatever he does to get me a clean title on it. And then I, maybe sell that hundred thousand dollar car for 20 30 grand it's a lot that goes into it but it's a high payoff right you're you're not doing triangulation and, and having to manage like thousands of orders to to make your money right uh like you like you would during the holiday season or or whenever you're not buying a hundred dollar concert ticket or or some uh <laughs> you know supplements yeah. to, to do that right it's it's a lot harder to fence that stuff you got to do a lot higher volume yeah and a lot more many many more transactions to meet that threshold uh and make those funds back right this you only got to do it a couple times to get and a everybody's getting amount paid of money. along everyone's the way you know right yeah right so that's that's what uh that's what the auto industry really sees uh from an ach fraud perspective um another one we that that dealerships have seen and and this isn't uh, I don't believe this is new, but this is something that's that's coming up more and more uh, uh, lately is um, some people call this uh, artificial payoff. It's basically loan fraud where you would have a vehicle. Like, let's say you you purchase a vehicle and you finance it. Let's say you finance 100 grand. Okay. You own the vehicle for a period of time. You either intend to defraud us immediately or you just are underwater and want to get rid of it, you could make a um, fraudulent payment on your loan and make it look like the balance of your loan is much lower than it is. And then you go either sell that car to a dealership or trade it in. And they think the payoff is 10,000 when in reality it's a hundred thousand. So you walk out of there with a check or uh, a new car and they're left like, uh, well, I can't get the title to the car you sold us because the loan is not paid off now. So uh, it's not a sophisticated, uh, not a sophisticated yeah. fraud, but it's it's very manual on the dealership's control side to be able to detect something like that. So you got to look at things like payment history. Um, is the payment cleared? So is it a recent payment? Uh, is it a you know a lump sum? Do they make a bunch of payments beforehand so we have actually been working with a lot of banks on this um 
I don't know really what it's going to take to solve that issue, but there's really no technology solution out there currently that can say still has to for be certain. Yeah, for certain. Like this is the balance. Like there are solutions to say this is the payoff amount, but it's just based on what the bank is reporting. So if they're reporting as 10,000, it's really 100,000. There's nothing they can do. So there's no fraud aspect in, in that reporting. Um, but I think there's through either consortium data um, or maybe legislation, <laughs> ultimately oh, wow. holding holding some group responsible. I think you, you need to hold someone responsible for this. It's one group, right? It can't be a constant legal battle between both sides to say, Who's going to like, yeah, they sold it to us, but you told us it was lower than it is. So who pays who, right? It, it, someone has That's to be point. responsible for that. You used to see um, like a, a kind of a, a smaller form of this type of thing is what people would do um, fake ATM deposits before when you set to put money in the envelope, they would say they do like an ATM deposit and say it's a thousand bucks in there, you know, Boop, yeah. slip, slip it in, they get $200, of, but there's nothing in there or like mm -hmm. a buck in there. Then they would get, you know, $200 available balance right away. They go spend it right away that night and then off they go, you know, like that was, that was kind of like an old school way of doing a similar thing at a lot smaller scale, you know, but now that you yeah. have to put the bills in and everything in a region, yeah. it's a you know, different. <laughs> I talked to, um, I don't recall his name, but I, I talked to a guy uh, who was like the head of the auto fraud task force in Houston. And I said, what are you telling dealers to do about this? He's like, don't pay them until you get the title. <laughs> okay but, and that's the same thing it's like it's like what i mean the events industry did the same thing and now etsy's doing the same thing that's where like they won't pay out the resale of the tickets until after the events played off which i think is is it's probably a smart move but it used to be you paid them right away so then you had this whole group of new people that were like you know six months eight months in a year out sold their tickets and they're just yeah. waiting to get paid they're out the money because they paid for the inventory initially and then they can't get recouped their money from what they resold the inventory until for a year and then same thing like etsy is like holding like up to like 75 percent. i think they're averaging 25 percent of people's payouts until the item has been delivered and i think i think a time after that's probably the chargeback window after that has <laughs> closed yeah. out before yeah. they pay them yeah 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 it's, it's not a good customer experience but what else not. are you gonna do <laughs> it is absolutely not uh it's not iconic for sure it's not iconic. <laughs> if you if you watch if you watch any basketball game, you'll see Carmax on the court. Uh, I guess we, we do sponsor a lot of, of uh, NBA and WNBA. And uh, every commercial, you'll see Steph Curry saying, hey, sell us your car. And I said, well, I can't, you know, I, I can't have Steph saying, hey, sell us your car. And you walk away with a check and, and you come into our uh, our dealership and we say, you know, it's going to be a couple of weeks. Yeah, I'll right? give you a we, check just, in a couple of weeks. <laughs> yeah. So we've got a, we we have been actively working on this for a while now. Yeah, you know, I think we've got some really, really good controls in place that that will deter people from doing so. Um, but you know, it, nothing is perfect, so we're constantly looking at what we can do to make things better, and and working with our lending partners and the the, the finance industry in general to to come up with a, a holistic solution. So before you, I ask you um, what you can tell me about what you're doing. Any other cool stories from that Houston thing that you might be able to share? That sounds pretty interesting, actually. Oh uh, no. <laughs> No, it was, it's funny. You know, the, the auto industry is, uh, I wouldn't say it's like super advanced from a technology standpoint, right? You know, I, I've, I've come from banking, uh, and payments or FinTech and everything's like technology driven. And, you know, you, you want to meet with someone, you send them a, an invite for a zoom or a team's call and you hop on, you talk, 
this guy, um, I, I emailed him and he emailed back and said like, Hey, here's my phone number. Just give me a call on Monday. And I was like, okay, well, here are some blocks on my calendar that I could call you. Are you available during any of these? He's like, just call me now. <laughs> he gets his cell phone number. He calls me. He's like, Hey, I said, Hey there. I said, is this so-and-so? And he said, yeah. Uh, he's like, I'm in the car with my daughter. We're driving to pick up my wife. Uh, what's going on? So it was just like a total throwback to it's like the old days. Like, just, just give me a call and tell me what's going on and I'll give you the information. It was kind of refreshing, yeah. but you know, it's, uh, the, the auto industry, I think, from a technology perspective in general, is just kind of it's is is several years behind. And I, I heard uh, there's a there's another podcast. Um, it's called Car Dealership Guy. So it's <laughs> it, this he goes by CDG. He's an anonymous guy that works in the auto industry. I think he works like in a dealer group, but he produces this podcast and he has uh, all kinds of people on talking about uh, wholesale auction and. Uh, EVs and all kinds of different stuff about the, the auto industry. It's really interesting. Um, but he had someone on that was from a technology company and, and she was saying basically like, you know, the auto industry is 10 to 15 years behind. And I came from, I mean, I don't know, she yeah. came from CPG or, or, or wherever, whatever industry she was in. And she was like, it was really, I just had to take a step back and assess where are we and what do we need to do to just bring us back up to where you would think of as normal at, at another place. So, you know, I, I kind of thought that as well coming into CarMax because it was just, you know, it, it was uh, some older technology that we we're working with. And then I met with some other folks in the industry and they're like, we don't have anything. I'm like, what do you, what do you mean you don't have anything? They're like, yeah, we're, we're scanning, we're, uh, we're photocopying driver's licenses. Like, I'm like, what do you, what do you mean you're scanning them with some tool? No, we, we literally put them on a copier and we, we copy the driver's license. And that's all, you know, that's all they did. They sent it to the lender and that's that. Right. So where I'm at with our lending partners, like there, you are so far ahead of where every other dealer group is. It's, it's insane. And when I pitched out my roadmap to them, like, this is what we're doing over the next couple of years. They're like, this is awesome. We love you. <laughs> One of them asked me to come talk to the, the IFCI group the other day. She's like, I, I, you know, your presentation was awesome. Come give it to, come give it to all these other people. So um, we really are in, in good shape. We're, we're ahead of the vast majority of the industry. And, uh, you know, I talked about my, my mission, but my vision is, to, you know, in, in a couple of years, we will be the leader in this space. And I think we can be a leader, not just within auto lending, but within e-commerce in general with, with some of the tooling we're putting in. That's pretty cool. Yeah. I mean, I mean, my, my mind I'll, I'll obviously immediately goes to like IDV stuff and like where the state of the state is, but that's kind of a fragmented space right now. You know, I, I put an episode out Quite. with, with Verif about that, but there's different levels of it. And then the different ways that those can be exploited as well is pretty, pretty well documented and pretty well known, you know, mm -hmm. you can't really just IDV all the things and then just expect that to be perfect and done, you know, these days. So buying a car, you know, then there's, then there's the you have to send data to DMV. You have to get the title from whoever has the title. There's just so many different pieces. Is it in a different state? Is it here? You know, where's this car coming from? You know, it's just like, I, I, I could see how there would be a lot that, that needed to be sorted out. You know, you have to kind of go one yeah. element at a time and then find the ways to make sure that the toys can play together too. You know, you know, we need to just be foundational in what we're doing, right? We have things here and there that work well, but as things go more and more online and we want to build a, a better omni-channel experience, 
we need to have these foundations. And, and a lot of the questions we're getting is like, what's the ROI of doing this or that? And it's like, well, mm -hmm. you have to have something there first. It's like, you know, they're thinking of ROI. Some people think of ROI as like, you know, you have a house. I want to increase the size of the house by 30%. And I want to increase the value of it by X by doing paint and tile and this and that, right? Like sometimes you just have like a tent in a field. Right. You, you have a tent and <laughs> maybe you have a camper over here. We're not, at the, you're not always at the point where you can improve on what you have. You have to start foundational and build that house first and then build it out further. That's an excellent analogy right there. I really like that. I enjoyed that. Thank you. Uh, I think that, you know, it's hard. We always talk about it on this show, but it's hard to really justify or put dollars around some of the fraud stuff that we do, you know, like, yeah, we can lower chargebacks or we can increase approvals. And those are, those are things, those are measurable KPIs that you can, you can have, but, you know, swapping out one tool for another and what happens with like customer experience is a great example of something that's a little harder to measure, you know, like, yeah. You know, you, you you let's say for you guys, you move everything online and you get this absolute certainty of, of who's purchasing the product, the cars being delivered, and you see people adopt that channel. Well, are they adopting it because it's so easy or are they adopting it because more people are buying online? It's hard to measure who the root is. of that, that lift actually belongs to, you know, but I will yeah. say like removing barriers for any business that ever listens to this, removing barriers to get to the product or making the 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 way more seamless is always a good thing like i'm like I, i've said on a couple of these shows before and even earlier in this i'm buying a house right now the fact that docusign and all these things are able to, to be done for me so i haven't had to leave my house yet is a huge shift from how i'm told buying used to be where you had to go to your title company and sign documents again and again and again and again when this is all said and done i'm never going to have to leave my house in order to purchase this property like even when I sign the official notarized documents, notary comes to me to sign these documents and off I go, you know, the keys will be delivered to me. And that's an example of, of, a, of a shift that made it easier for me. And it's not, I didn't, I didn't, I'm not going with this company because that's what they do. It's just like, that's how the experience has been for me. But now that I know how it is with this company, I'm going to, the next time I need it, I'm going to, to buy it. But like, who's, who was, whose idea was it to do it this way? You know, like, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I think that's a great point. You know, and that's what we strive to do is make that, that experience so good that you come back. Right. If you have a great experience, um, an iconic experience as we hope you do. Iconic, and, yes. And, and your, your, your coworker friend, Jenny certainly has, right. She's, she's telling you about that. Yeah. Right. And she's she telling has. other people about that. Um, and if you have a bad experience, you're going to tell that many more people. Yeah, so, like I just had with Lemonade, the insurance company, the other day. Yeah, now it's on it's <laughs> so, <on> my LinkedIn. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So we want people to have those experiences, and we cannot do that. We cannot expand our online presence and, and do more, do different things if we can't support it, right? If we can't support it securely and, and control our losses, then we won't be able to do that. Well, this has been super fascinating so far. So let's talk about some of the things that you guys might be doing to help you solve these with technology to make it easier so we can have that iconic experience. Cause I, I'm, I'm not going to lie. Like I am starting, like I've got to finish this house thing, get settled in my payment. And then I am in the market for a new car, but the particular car that I want the Mercedes GLE 450 formatic, um, I would prefer to buy one that's already depreciated by a year or two. 
Uh, <laughs> I'll check our so, inventory for you. Yeah, please do. Uh, <laughs> and see what we can do. Because I, that's the thing is like, if I buy new, I'm at these interest rates and all these things, I would probably like to prefer when it's down in interest. Hoobie put out a nice little video the other day talking about how luxury SUVs are declining in price a little bit. So I'm open to it, but um, that's the car that I want. Um, and I want that the, the particular model year, I think it's 2022 now uh, because it has the technology that I like and it looks sexy AF as they say. But what are you guys doing to make these this experience like as from a technology standpoint more more iconic for us? Like can you can you kind of dive in a little bit about that? Well, you know, I can't talk about specifics uh what what CarMac's doing, but I think I, if I talk more generally about uh what should the industry identity do verification, to make it more yeah. iconic? When yeah. I think about identity verification, one, I think it's a mess. I'll just say that. I think yeah, it's a mess. Okay. IDB, there, there are so many different IDB companies that have the same core product of take a picture of your license, take a selfie, we'll match it. And they all tell you they're the best. And how do you judge them? Right. Because I can't legally go online or anywhere and buy a bunch of fake IDs to actually test this out. Right? I can only test it out with me and my coworkers. Then maybe they bring some fake IDs on, on site and say, look, they don't work. Well, yeah, you're not going to bring ones that do. Um, so it's, it's, it's difficult. I think um, in general, the finance industry and anyone that, that needs to do identity verification um, for business purposes needs to go beyond looking at the driver's license or the passport or whatever document they're looking at. And you go way beyond that. Starting at like the, the beginning of the customer journey, when they when they onboard with you, what information are they providing you? Are they giving you a good email address? Are they giving you a good phone number? Is the name is the name a name or is it just a bunch of letters and numbers that they typed yeah. in like they got angry at their keyboard? Right. Looking at risk holistically across the customer journey is the only way that you can truly understand a person. Right. Looking at device, phone, email, behavior, looking at all those things is how uh, how we are going to today be able to identity proof someone i think in the future you're you're probably going to be looking at apple and or google to have some sort of tokenized identity uh oh, thank on those you. devices uh, thank you someone's been listening to my show <laughs> did you say that so yeah like my my firm belief is that that's that has to happen that, so there's I've no been, way we get to it without i've been Go running ahead. around for years saying and I was I was gonna try and make it, but I feel like with pass keys, it's kind of not worth it for me to try and make it. I was gonna try and make it, but an identity token that's your token, and it's yeah. biometrically authenticated. So anytime a business encounters that biometric token, they know for certain that that person in that session is actually validated, known, really that human being. So how you do that is it was kind of give you the trick because you have to off offload some sort of biometric authentication, whether like in an Apple, you know, controls it with like touch ID, face ID, you know, Google, Samsung have their things. But basically at the, the moment that 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 identity is authenticated, that token is like a forever token. Just like we have payment tokens, but it's for you. That's your token. Yeah. It's basically your digital ID. So if I go onto CarMax and I pass this token, you have for certain known that it's me biometrically authenticated actually me in that session trying to make that purchase you can look at like the achs and make sure all those things line up to that actual token and see it's the right person but same thing if, if i go in and authenticate this ach with that same token that you know that that money is really the money problem is 
is that there still needs to be liability legalities worked out that says if there is ever a conflict that arises from this token, who's really responsible for it? And the answer is the owner of the token is what it needs to be. There needs to be some punishment to the person. And that's where everybody starts to freak out because yeah. what if it does get compromised? You know, just like what how if we you cut my hand finger? off and take my hand to the bank sure. and scan my fingers. I mean, I probably yeah. don't care about the 50 grand that I just spent on, you know, a, a Kia Telluride. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't have all the answers. Uh, I, I certainly think that there needs, uh, well, there obviously needs to be a lot of innovation in the space. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the the problem i one, one of the problems is the fragmentation of idv there's just yeah. so many you know there there are certain like you, i'm not going to name names because we all know who they are there are certain ones that that put together mobile wallets or you know have your x verified identity right and they're trying to sell it to everyone they they put it on different social media sites that you can verify mm-hmm. yourself on and, and they think they can build a plurality uh of of you know enough people to become the standard of identity right i i just don't think that there are enough people yet that are willing to sign on to that um and yeah it's not that trust it's not as trustworthy as it needs to be so you, you need to back to your original question <laughs> was you need to look at the entire customer journey you have to know what people are doing um i know one of, one of your sponsors does does you know uh journey time orchestration they that's what they look at right um so if people are if you're able to identify someone and say that this is a good person um and there's others that look at like how you're holding your phone like there's you you had someone on from Lexus talking about uh behavioral biometrics there's a lot of folks that do that as well um there's plenty of things out there that look at people's behavior whether it's their actual biometric behavior of, of interacting and moving uh with their device or it is the the rate at which they are interacting with your website. So, or is someone registering, looking for a specific item, adding it to a cart and doing Apple Pay checkout immediately? Well, that's probably odd, right? Yeah. I'm not going to a site for the first time and, and doing those things. Um, but you, if you don't have the visibility into that, how do you know if it's odd? So right? let's talk about that. So yes, um, so this is kind of, in the part of that. So I think, you know, like the, the, how you hold the phone, all those. So there was, first of all, we started with device ID. That was like our first wave of stuff. It was like 10 years mm-hmm. ago, you know, then we moved into like these, these more behavioral sorts of things over the last few years, you know, we, so we actually, we did, this is the, the order when it went device ID, it went, um, the, uh, identity verification services first with like the Akadas and, and those, and the, those types pinging mm-hmm. the information, validating information behind the scenes. Then it went into more of the IDV stuff with the credit cards and all that, turn your head sideways um, or hold up, started with hold up a picture. And I saw one, one time we used one where somebody literally drew a stick figure and held it up and the IDV company validated it to the ID, just saying that happens. Everybody think about that. Um, then we went into this more like the identification stuff, but then the, but the behavioral biometrics, how are they holding their phone? How are they walking? Like what is the speed that they're going? But the, the then the, the journey time orchestration stuff is now kind of pulling all of that information. So you could pull and do step up authentications automatically right. to those uh, the IDVs, to the um, address verifications, to the device IDs, whatever you need, they can do for you at, and at different points in the thing. But I think the next wave 
is going to kind of be like these identity tokens. It's going to be the pass keys. It's uh, I knew you were going to. Yeah. It's going there, but there's still more. <laughs> it, it's pass keys are going to be the next wave. I think Google, you know, kind of just they they did what they needed to do by pushing everybody to do it. But at the same time, there are pass key providers in this this place. There's companies like Signal, who's been on my show before, Intersect, who's been on my show, where they will create a passkey for you. And it's the same thing like you were just talking about, where they there are these companies like the IDV companies set up the stuff and they're like, then they try to sell it and be like, look, anybody, you know, if they're in our network already. If they come on and they do it, we know it's them, you know? And the passkeys are trying to do the same thing. And there's going to be a fragmentation of passkeys too. But mm-hmm. I think Google's kind of preemptively striking by with their sign in with Google that you can sign in with the passkeys but it kind of does put it in their network too. So you kind of get married to Google. Like I pay for this podcast. I pay for the Google pro, you know, business account that I have to pay for. And my pass keys are kind of tied to that business pro account. And I have to do that forever, you know, but I think at the same time, like you look at these journey time orchestrations and pass keys will play into those as well. The same providers is you can then prompt people for a pass key authentication. Like let's say they log in, they somehow got in and then they went straight to the customer details page. As we all know, that's not what people really right. do. But then you can pass key there. And one of the cool things that I, I change my password like, every time I log in. Every single time? Do you really? Every single time. No, no. no. I thought you were being serious for a second. I'm like, no. wait a minute. I know that I, that's no. a sign of fraud. Wait, I'm, I'm a normal people, user. I, I but, sign but, in like, and change my password. But you got to remember, every, every like, time. Our, our security lives are a lot different than, <laughs> than other people. So like, maybe you were like really doing it. I'm like, normally I flag that and I put a prompt up on that. But with customer journey time orchestration, one of the cool things that you can do, and not just saying this because Spec is a great sponsor of mine, but in in a, in the step back looking, like my company, we fire up new marketing channels, new checkout flows all the time. It's just the nature of the business. Sure. But if we have something that's like an orchestrator, we can drop these these things right on that, you know, on these new these new processes or these new things that come up. And one of the things, like you just said, add something to a cart, check out real quick as a new customer with Apple Pay. Well, there's these things called app clips that you can put a QR code on a wall, like at, like in a mall, and you're, somebody can scan that QR code, which don't do that, people. Come on, stop scanning random shit. <laughs> <laughs> but, it, but it brings up like a, a, a direct product. Like it's an individual yeah. product on our site, you know, like a, these vitamin Cs for this sale, sale that we're doing. And then you can immediately, you don't even load an app, you don't load anything. It's like in line in that little, that little screen share thing or that uh, the QR sh- code scanner. Check out with Apple Pay right then and there. And it happens in seconds, you know, like the idea is to get these people through these, these funnels sure. and these, these things are like less than 10 megabytes. So we have to do it. But at the same time, like we have to find ways to put our fraud tools on those in the confines of, well, it has to be less than 10 megabytes total space. Well, my, like the average um, library for a SDK on a, on like a, a fraud tool is like 1.1 megabytes. Well, what is the rest of your company trying to add in there, you know? But doing or- orchestration stuff, if it's passing through some sort of server through you, eventually you could kind of grab it there and then do it, offload the size of it. So yeah, Whew, there's a lot in there. <laughs> How do you feel about that? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, it, it is great, right? I mean, the, the data is one aspect of it, but you have to be able to get to the data. And if you don't have if you don't have something that you can easily plug in, it's, it's, it's very easy to miss things. So yeah. Um, How'd you know I was going there with passkeys? <laughs> I've I've listened to a, an episode or two. <laughs> that's that's a good. I like that. I like that. Yeah, give me yeah, the, I, give me them view counts. <laughs> yeah, exactly, but uh, you know, I, I I think it really is looking at the the whole customer journey and understanding like what your customers normally do, what specific customers do, and and scoring like risk scoring the data that they pass through your your network. It's it's behavior to, and it's the data. We used to do that with validations at, at um, an old company I worked at. Is every 
every piece of data that you provided that we could authenticate, you got scored. Like yeah. you got more positive score, you know? So if we can validate your email, well, we all know if they're fetching a fake email, they might, they, if it's ATO, they probably got the email ATO too. Phone number, yep. social media logins. We would count social media logins. You know, the more that you were able to validate, the more score you got, you know? Now you could do pass keys, you could do additional things. So you could kind of have an idea earlier in the process, earlier in this journey, if it's a known good customer. So you can, you don't have to do as much later and you can have more confidence because it took so long. We've always just loaded our entire payload of fraud stuff right at checkout, <laughs> you know? And that's exactly, just, yeah. there's other places we can do it. Yeah. You know, we, we have the, uh, the luxury of getting much more data than you typically would like on an e-commerce site, just checking out because we're not only asking for phone, email and address for shipping. We ask for your social security number. You get, yeah, <laughs> so, as I say, you get, you get actual, as well, like Homeland security identity data about. Right. When right. And, and we're asking for, you know, uh, employment information, income information, so we can prove your credit worthiness as well. So, um, a lot of the fraud and credit risk stuff that we have can work in, in tandem. Um, yeah, I think what's interesting is that I didn't think about coming in was like, there's, there's so many different types of fraud and different ways that you can commit fraud. And like, if you're coming from the, the e-com side, you think like there's payment fraud, there's ATO, there's um, stored value, there's rewards points, there's all these different things, but it all mm -hmm. comes down to someone coming in and getting something with someone else's, card points credentials whatever right when you move into the lending space well let's say i make a hundred thousand dollars a year and you and the the lender asked me how much i make and i say well 250 what the hell they might give me a better interest rate than they would if i put my actual income Income verification is a, a, a huge thing for for the uh, for the lending space, right? So I put a hundred. Let's say I go through a prequal uh, or a pre-approval application, and I put a hundred thousand, right? And they say, all right, uh, four years, twelve percent interest, because interest rates are insane now. And they say, uh, let me go back and say I'm going to make a fifteen thousand dollar down payment. And I make eh, what the hell, two hundred fifty thousand dollars, and it comes back and says nine percent. Well they're using their own identity but they're misrepresenting their income so is it fraud is it something else interesting that's a yeah. really interesting so question technically it's i mean i guess it's it's how and how you define fraud to me like fraud is simply misrepresentation uh for with the intent of some kind of gain and the gain in this case is a lower interest rate. So if I'm charging you 12%, I'm going to make, let's say it's a hundred thousand dollar car. I make $112,000 in the loan versus 9%. I make 109. So it's lost interest income to the company, uh, versus fraud. It's kind of yeah, a, kind okay. of a gray area, but either way, like it's also an in, in increased credit risk as well. Cause if you're buying that expensive car, if you make 250, you're probably more likely to be current on the payments than if you make significantly less than that. So we need to look at it from a overall risk perspective. So it could, you know, if you make a hundred thousand, maybe we won't give you any kind of offer on it. You need to make way more <laughs> to, yeah, to get it. Sense. So yeah, we see that kind of fraud uh, all the time. 
That makes I, that's that's super fascinating. I never really thought about that. You know, I, my bank does ask me like every six months how much I make because my bonuses are kind of all over the place. Yeah. Or you or know? or um <laughs> like employers. We see so if 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 you ever next time you do an auto loan, you might get what's called the in the auto industry it's called a step. It's just a stipulation. So we stipulate that you must provide X, Y, and Z in order for us to continue with this deal. So we might stipulate that you have to provide proof of income, proof of residency, proof of employment. Um, fake steps are incredibly common. And it's probably probably in any lending, lending uh, that that I'm sure you have to provide like tax returns and various other things for for your mortgage as well. So yeah. people will print off for multiple fake, years. <laughs> yeah, right. Fake pay stubs are huge. Um, they're rarely successful because people don't know how to do math. So you make $5,000 in this pay period. You had 3000 in deductions, but your net pay was $4,000. Well, the math ain't uh. math and we're, <laughs> we're not accepting this. Right. So they'll do that. They'll make fake, uh, make a fake employers. There's, there are real, I guess, real fake employers that will, for a service, answer the phone and say, yes, you work there and you make $50,000 a year. So we see those kinds of things, but um, it's really any way that you could possibly think of and many others to commit fraud against uh, the lending or auto industry, it will happen. That's super fascinating. I just, I never would have thought about those sorts of things, you know? So this is why I wanted to have uh, this conversation where we just talk about the, uh, the industry and, and some of the weird stuff that you guys see specifically. We can talk about carding all day long, but I think I have <laughs> plenty. I got 30 some episodes about that, you know, I'm like, <laughs> Wow, this has been a super interesting conversation, and I would like to thank you for coming on and sharing these stories. Like, uh, I'm going to need you to come back and tell me even more. Uh, and I'd really like to, like, definitely, as you guys go through this process, as you modernize this this flow for CarMax, uh, I'd love to have you share with us, like, some of the the outcomes. It doesn't have to be specifics. Obviously, we don't want to give away um, CarMax secrets here. You know, Carvana does listen, but uh, I would like to um, just know, like, what like what the fruits of it is for a, a larger audience to know, like options that, that might work for them, you know, especially because we do have like people that are in this lending space that are in, that are extending credit to people like that. Uh, and I would like to, to, to make sure that like mortgage people hear about this, like these sorts of things too. So they can make it even easier in the future. Yeah. So, yeah. There's an industry <laughs> that could use some overall. <laughs> absolutely. I know there's people trying, but like, it's just, like they have to be there. ready for the disruption, you know, like Certainly. I, I was, I was always saying like, why can't I just give you guys the money? We sign this contract. You give me that, the difference. And then we just go like, why can't we do that? Why do I need 5,000 different pages of things? But as I'm going through the, the process for the second time this year, because I pulled an offer earlier this summer, um, I understand it a little more now, but there's got to be a way we can automate all of this. You know, there's a little bit of risk when you're lending someone a million dollars, you know? Yeah. There's just, just, just <laughs> a little bit here and there, but you know, Hey, I, I was able to get it under 1 million by like a dollar. Uh, oh, my congrats. actual mortgage. Congratulations. So, yeah, thank you. yeah. And it, it has, that has massive tax implications too on the writing off the mortgage interest. So, oh, yeah. So I'm going to be well, okay. There you go. Smart move. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks again for coming on the show. Uh, and we'll see you everybody in two weeks. Thank you. Thanks for listening to today's episode. I really hope you enjoyed it. Don't forget to visit our incredible friends and sponsor Spec. 
Get your holiday team ready with full visibility into the customer journey all season long using their patented no-code orchestration platform and be ready for whatever comes your way with the ability to collect data, call third-party APIs, build logic and workflows, all with the ability to take action anywhere in the entire customer journey. Visit www.specprotected.com to schedule your demo and learn more. Thank you.